Welcome. This is your Cyber Path. We're the podcast that helps you get your dream cybersecurity job. I'm Kip Boyle. I'm here with Wes Schreiner. We are experienced hiring managers of cybersecurity professionals, and we're here to help you get your dream cybersecurity job. So this episode that you're uh, checking out right now is available as an audio-only recording. If you want that, just go to your favorite podcast app and grab it. We're also a video on our YouTube channel. So just go to YouTube and search for your cyber path podcast and uh, you'll see a playlist and everything will be there. So let's talk about the series we're in. What we're doing is a series of episodes. And what we're trying to do is tell you all about the way a typical cybersecurity organization is put together in a larger sized organization. Um, Because if you know what's available, then you can figure out what's the best job for you in this career field that we now call cybersecurity. Some of us with some reluctance, I must admit, we have better names for ourselves, but uh, yeah. Anyway, so today we're going to tell you about the threat intelligence service, right? So we've got a whole service catalog that we're walking through. This is number 15, and you'll see it when we get to that slide. We'll show you all the services. Look for number 15, and uh, and then you'll see kind of where it belongs. Today, we're going to explore that service with the help of two guests. We've got Mike and Gary here. But before we introduce our guests, Wes, tell us what is happening on the farm. We had a wild week on the farm this week, Kip. Uh, We had a young couple come on out to the backyard, set up a, a 40 by 20 tent and get married back there. It was really, really cool. Did you know them? Uh, uh, oh yeah. This is a, a young man that I've been mentoring for years, uh, uh, a sweet friend. And, and so congratulations to Dave and Emma who are happily married and, and figuring out life together as a married couple. Uh, it was really fun to pause and celebrate with them as they, as they start this new life together. And it was, was fun to get through winter and realize that spring is coming and, and new life and new marriage and new happiness is coming because winter's a long drudge on the farm. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Uh, so that is so yeah, so that cool. was pretty sweet time. Congratulations to those two. Uh, my favorite part is that uh, when you have a wedding coming, teenagers mow the lawn without being asked. I mean, uh, I mean, without being asked multiple times, sorry. Oh, okay, because I was about to say, I, as a teenager, I would not have gotten the hint. <laughs> I wouldn't so have picked it up. So that's a highlight. All right, let's jump into some guests and tell you tell you who we have here today. Please. Uh, first, we've got Mike Sheward. Uh, Shuey comes to us from Seattle, Washington, where he has been. I'm sorry, I, that was a game show host <laughs> thing. It started. Thanks, Guy uh, Smiley. Shuey has been all of the places. He's been at ExtraHop and Expedia. He's currently head of security at Particle. Uh, He's written 20-some articles, taught uh, security classes at the University of Washington. And I think my favorite part of of Shui's profile on LinkedIn says, enthusiastic information security leader who will do everything in his power to make sure he never has to get on the phone at 2 a.m. to tell his leadership team a breach happened. Never wants to receive a phone call from Brian Krebs. Never wants to offer you two years of free credit monitoring and offers practical solutions, puts in the effort to make these goals a reality. Shui, tell us a little bit about you. How did you get your start in cybersecurity? Yeah, so um, I'm originally from the UK. You'll see various bits of my old life behind me on the wall, things like that. Um, And I actually got my start by accident. Um, I was working as a network engineer in the local education authority at my local county council, which is basically like state level government in the UK. Um, and I noticed a bunch of traffic going out of the network in the wrong direction 
at quite uh, a lot of speed. And so I decided to investigate and I found what I thought was actually um, malware at the time. And so I basically shut off the port where the, the network, where the traffic was coming out of the network and, um, you know, kind of resolved itself the next couple of days. Um, and then probably about six months later, somebody came to me and said, hey, can you explain why you did what you did six months ago? And I said, sure, it was because I saw this. Anyway, it turned out that I just busted by accident somebody doing something very bad. They were sharing some files that they shouldn't have been sharing. Um, and so, so I was like, that was pretty cool. It was a good feeling to be able to, you know, spot something and, and, and jump on it and stop something bad happening. Maybe I should do this as a career. And that's where I kind of got started. That's a great start. Uh, that was in the UK. How long have you been in the US? Mm -hmm. Uh, it was 10 years. Uh, I've been in the US 10 years last week. Um, so I'm just celebrating my 10 year anniversary, which is why my accent is kind of halfway between the two countries at the moment. <laughs> you sound like you're from New York, so it fits. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to tell people I was kind of at the Azores. And now, yeah, I'm definitely, definitely closer to Boston and New York for sure. So you've got a strong threat intelligence background. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your, your experience in threat intelligence? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, my biggest um, thing that jumps to mind whenever I when I think of threat intelligence. So, um, at Concur, I used to use threat intelligence quite threat intelligence quite a bit. We had a um, travel book. So, I ran the security operations team there, where we had a travel book booking feature, and um, we used to get people that would fish their way into our platform and spin up um, fraudulent travel bookings and things like that. Um, so early on, I built some very custom, very specific threat intelligence based detections for detecting that kind of fraud. Um, and that was actually a really good thing to do because it's kind of like a security thing, but it's also a businessy thing that, um, you know, it, it saved customers real money and kind of early on at Concur, that was a very good way to get, um, a lot of buy-in from the exec team. So it kind of enabled, um, you know, growth in the technical security space. So I've done that and then um, uh, at other places as well and up to present day um, do a lot with kind of the, the traditional um, threat intelligence detections and things like that. What I really like about threat intelligence um, and, and, you know, surfacing things up um, at cloud service providers, which is where I've historically been, is that um, it's kind of a resaleable thing, threat intelligence, right? Like you can, if you're offering like a service, um, or hosting or something along those lines and you're doing a bunch of threat intelligence correlation it's not that difficult to kind of resell that or just repost it back to your customers um, and that way you get obviously their eyes on it and you know some of them have bigger security teams than i have so it, it's it's nice to be able to kind of expose that stuff back out and um, it, it makes you very popular amongst your customer security teams which is uh, always a good nice. thing to be nice now I heard you say it was a security thing and a businessy thing. Mm -hmm. Now is that a, a that's a new word? Is that an American English word or a British English word that you um, create there? It's it's actually businessy is actually from an ancient Anglo-Saxon proverb um, uh, that uh, was first documented in 52 AD or something like that. I'm sure. Outstanding. Thank you. <laughs> and now you know why we invited Mike to be on the show. <laughs> Glad to have you. All right, and I want to I want to turn over here and, and look at Gary Brown. Uh, Gary Brown is has been uh, a peer of mine, a coworker at at one of our companies. And while he was there, 
I watched him uh, set his sights on moving into threat intelligence for years and and focus and 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 now execute on that goal to where he is now the a principal intelligence analyst at a at a major telecom. So, uh, uh, really well done, Gary. And I, I want to hear your story as well. Tell us a little bit about uh, uh, who you are and where you come from, what you've got, what you've done in the background. Well, I originally, um, <clears throat> I guess, started life in uh, Portland, Oregon. Um, went to Portland State University uh, there and worked full time um, while I was doing that um, as a command post controller for the Air Force. Um, and, uh, you know, scrambled fighter jets actually, and, uh, did emergency response actions and, you know, a bit of classified work doing that while I was working my way through college, um, and got an officer slot as a, a, a command and control officer at Western air defense sector of NORAD. Um, but what I really wanted to do, uh, was intelligence. Um, that was, I felt like my, kind of my calling, um, and so I got an opportunity to apply for a position at a um, what was called the Information Warfare Aggressor Squadron at that time. Um, it's now called the Cyber Operations Squadron. Um, but I got my start out working with Air Force Red Teams um, as an intelligence officer, what's called an all-source intelligence officer, um, which most Air Force intelligence officers are, where we look at a whole spectrum of different um, intelligence um, disciplines, including human intelligence and signals intelligence um, among them and other types that are a little bit more exotic than those. Um, and um, just developed experience uh, in, in cyber and working with an operational red team mindset and doing intelligence support of the red team or actually participating in or actually leading the red teams at times. Um, and I ended up being a tactics officer and then a flight commander. Um, some of my more memorable experiences um, were actually serving in non-cyber capacities, um, but working as uh, Chief of Information Operations Intelligence in Iraq for the country, and also uh, working um, on host force nation issues in Afghanistan um, for a few years in each, um, and uh, more, more in Afghanistan, actually, um, and working for Central Command as a, as a strategic intelligence analyst. So I've always considered myself um, first an intel guy and second a cyber guy. Um, and so I may offer a little bit of different perspective um, too. Um, it's really cool to, to meet Mike and um, you know experience or hear what his insights are as well. Um, they'll be a little bit different than mine. Um, I joined corporate world at t uh, uh, a telecom company um, <laughs> and uh, um, Worked uh, as beginning as operational security, um, which provides essentially um, ways to protect information, um, company information and company secrets that are not limited to cyber, um, but also go beyond cyber as well into touching on physical security or touching on um, how we transmit information, for example. Um, and then I was selected to start the security awareness program um, enterprise security awareness program for the company, which is, in my mind, security awareness and intelligence have a huge. Um, most of what we have information for what works in security awareness is drawn from threat intelligence, but it's very, very proven um, threat intelligence um, information that we're that we're giving you at that point in time. Um, and then um, started working uh, um, kind of a couple of years ago, part time and then full time. Um, and the Intel side of the house for the company. And um, just uh, 
you know, was able to prove my bona fides, I guess, doing Intel. Um, having all that Air Force Intel experience, um, people don't necessarily always see that as translating um, into a corporate environment um, because there are some differences. Um, and I think I'm able to demonstrate that there are some really good translations um, that we can learn from each other. I really hope you get a chance to share some of those along the way today, because I think that's a that's a huge uh, value add to our audience, right? Many of the folks in our audience come from a, a strong military background and are looking to make the transition to corporate America. And and the way you did it uh, uh, with humility and strength was really, really cool. So I hope that comes out in today's episode in some ways. Thank you. So. All right, uh, so let's jump in and see what we've got for today. Uh, let's see. Uh, to remind our audience, this is our placemat of the 23 common services of a security service catalog. We're gonna focus specifically on the threat intelligence discipline, the threat intelligence service catalog item number 15 here. That threat intel service catalog item, when I, when I showed this to 10 peers and said, hey folks, here's what I've got for threat intel, every one of them put it in a different spot. Some people put it in engineering, architecture, and tests. Some people put it over in risk management. Some people believe it, believe it belongs in security operations. We just heard Gary say it might belong next to security awareness and training. So uh, we will have a, a MMA throwdown at the end of this call <laughs> to figure out where Threat Intel is supposed to land. But for now, we've got it living over in engineering, architecture, and test. We will go to the next slide now and start to jump into what is threat intelligence and uh, reporting. I want to start with the reports because if you can begin with the end in mind, then you can understand how you how to get there. Uh, to understand threat intelligence, we want to look at a report horizon. So we've got three different report horizons. Uh, the first being that that in the next three days, right? That's your tactical report telling you what's going to happen next. Your three days to three months might be an operational report, and anything with three months or, or greater uh, timeline is going to be your strategic report. Some of the most common reports might be the current intelligence brief or an incident watch. Maybe there's some geopolitical instability, uh, an industry threat, a company threat, a tech threat, uh, travel advisories, executive protection. Uh, these are all common reports you might see from a threat intelligence team. Uh, and I want to call out uh, the threat intelligence is going to analyst is going to bring together an analysis, data, and tools. And if we can get the tools, the analysis, and the data in the right place, we're going to get to the analytical sweet spot. And if we, if we flex in any of the wrong directions of that Venn diagram, we're going to either end up with overworked, unproductive analysts, speculative guesswork, or unreliable auto-generated garbage. So uh, that's the value of having a great intelligence analyst uh, bringing you the data. Uh, what do you guys, would you guys have anything to add to this slide? Anything you want to, uh, how would you make it better? Well, I would clarify that it's correct, but you need to get optimal results. You need the right tools, the right data, and the right analyst. <laughs> so you kind of need right? the right stuff. Yeah. I mean, and then as far as uh, a lot of understandings, I think that I've read about, about uh, the way corporate um, views intelligence as they view it as very, very tactical a lot of times. And that has them putting uh, the intelligence organization with S Cyber Incident Response Team and maybe with Cybersecurity Operations Center, which is a very short-term look at threat intelligence. And I'm not trying to discount that, but I'm 
What I would say is that um, when it comes to what's actually the most important, um, think of it as a downward flow from strategic to operational to tactical. Um, and if you think of, of security organizations, all these together as kind of a net that you showed on that previous slide, all those different boxes as part of different strands that have a net trying to stop um, attacks from happening. Um, the further out you can see that happening, um, which means strategic, the more effectively your leadership can allocate resources um, so that they can meet those risks. But that's also the hardest to do is the strategic intelligence. Um, the operational part, um, you know, it's closer in, but you still have time before the attacker is actually on your network. I would put something like vulnerability management, for example, in that operational side, but it could be tactical if they've already exploiting or are in the process of exploiting that vulnerability, in which case you're too late, right? Now you've moved it to cyber incident response team and what's actually happening on your network, right? It's a little late in the game, but that's where tactical intelligence comes in really, really valuable. What can I do tomorrow to make this place better, more secure? What can I do today to make this place better, <laughs> more <laughs> secure? <clears throat> cool. Shui, is there anything you'd want to add there? I mean, I would say that the uh, the kind of diagram over there, it, it although this is 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 written from the perspective of you know kind of human intelligence and potentially signals intelligence as well. I was going to say that a lot of what you, you could use that same diagram to talk about um, how you know some of the things that are detected in the modern security operations center as well, which kind of falls into the into that tactical intelligence bracket that you were talking about. But there's definitely a lot of the same sort of you know tools analyst data overlap there as well and what comes out of that process could be considered intelligence um, so that's why some people me included um, think that intelligence can live in the stock quite nicely um, it's it's you know there's intelligence that comes from external sources and there's also your own intelligence that comes from your own um, monitoring and uh, response as well um, and and both sources are equally important in my opinion. Very cool. Outstanding. Let's take that and let's now build on that with our, our next slide here, the, um, the understanding of how do we get from, from a big pile of data to something useful that we can work with. By the way, I think we have the best slides yet on this episode, <laughs> the best visuals. <laughs> well, and you'll notice that every one of them is sourced because we didn't create most of these, right? These are coming from some really, uh, really good industry sources. With attribution, so, nice job. Or in this case, military source from the Joint Intelligence Publication 2-0 from the Joint Chiefs of Staff. <laughs> Gary, do you want to tell us a little bit about this slide? Um, sure. It's, it's e extremely important for you to get a baseline understanding of the operational environment you're working in, um, what the... In the case of the military, what the mission is or what the business priorities are of the business um, and also what your assets are um, so you know what's important to defend. Um, and then even amongst those assets, what's most important among them and what are the impacts if you lose that because you always have to face triage um, in terms of how you allocate your, your resources, how your leadership allocates resources, um, who they hire. Um, so that's very critical. The, the other thing to understand, and this is an enormous misunderstanding about there, 
um, that seems hard for a lot of people to get, and that is they confuse the idea of information with intelligence. Um, and um, basically, so this depicts sort of the process that you're supposed to have, which is a lot of times you'll start with data, which is kind of unprocessed, unorganized information. Um, you organize it and maybe call it information and make it a little bit more meaningful just by that organization and narrowing it down. And then the intelligence part is where you're making estimates and assessments um, about what that actually means and how that might impact the future decisions of the company and how to allocate resources, uh, basically towards the goal of reducing risk. So, Mike, do you have uh, comments? On yeah, that? that's the, the that last part, the production of the intelligence is the art form, right? Like that's the part that can sometimes be overlooked, right? There's, it's fairly easy to go collect a bunch of this stuff. Um, and the classic example is like, um, if you run a large company and you have a web, web application firewall and it picks up 6 billion events per month and you go and you hand 6 billion events per month to anyone slightly you know, more senior who they're like, well, what, what do I do about this? Is this good? Um, the art, uh, in, in a lot of security topics is taking that raw data and presenting it in a way um, that folks will understand to be able to get value out of, um, you know, penetration test reports, very similar thing, right? In, um, uh, in a way that, you know, it's the only tangible output of the process, right? And it's the same here. Like um, what, early on in my career, when I was doing either pen test reports or incident reports and stuff like that, um, people would always yell at me because they would claim that they read like a Jane Austen novel. And like, so I'd write a pen test report, right? And it would start off like, it was a warm Wednesday morning and I arrived at the office. And, <laughs> and what I found was, and so like, just get to the point and make it very clear what, what is actually out there, what the threat is and what we could potentially do about it, right? The making it a very concise and, and readable and digestible brief is, is, a, is a skill. I really read like a lot of Jane Austen novels. I just got to know. Um, I have never read a Jane Austen novel. That's why I didn't oh, know what come I was like. It was a warm Wednesday morning. <laughs> well, you are a writer. You have several books and papers published, Mike. So there's got to well, be. Cause, that's because I had to use, I had to have some kind of outlet, right? Because ah. like, I couldn't do it in my pen test reports or my, you know, my incident reports anymore. So I had to outlet somehow. So there is a writer in there after all. Hey, I just want to, uh, I want to say that I, uh, you know, one of the things that that we try to do in our episodes is highlight when um, a service that we're talking about is different depending on the size of the organization that you're working in, the industry that you happen to be working in. Those things can make a big difference. And and Mike, when I heard you talk about, uh, for example, uh, some kind of a log, uh, some kind of a system that was that was making log entries and 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 a, and a ton of log entries in in a given time. When I was working at a at a mid-sized insurance company, I didn't have the budget to actually process those logs um, and and turn them into intelligence. I wish I had, but it really wasn't an option. It was it kind of fell below the line in my budget, and so um, so you know to me that's one of the compromises in working in a smaller organization is you don't always have the ability to uh, breathe life into all the services um, that we're talking about here. Um, in contrast, uh, people working in very large enterprises 
probably do get the opportunity to uh, to do more of this work. I think in the large company, you do get a little more state of the art. Uh, at the smaller company, I think it's it's very likely that uh, you wear six different hats during the day. And maybe there's a 15 minute window at three o'clock in the afternoon where you're allowed to put the threat intelligence hat on and say, all right, those are the things I'm going to deliver. And, and hopefully this episode helps you understand what are the most important things to do in those 15 minutes. Yeah, besides go, I wish I could spend 20 minutes on this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's um, I, I generally prefer, you know, smaller organizations and smaller teams for that reason, right? Like I like, I, I get bored myself easily, right? So I like to wander around and do different things. Um, so I, yeah, I really enjoy kind of the mixture, but yes, it's true that if you're in a smaller team, you might get to mix in threat intelligence um, here and there, and you might get some, you know, benefit from it, which is why I was saying earlier about like exposing it back out to, to your customers is a good way of kind of maximizing the impact of it, especially if they're bigger than you. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it definitely varies. There are obviously enterprise organizations out there that have giant intelligence, threat intelligence um, teams out there that are bigger than many just whole security teams. Um, but it, I, I, I think, I think it's, it's interesting. I think anybody can do it to some degree, right? It's just about how you, um, how you apply it in your organization. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it, it means different things to different, uh, different sizes of organization for sure. All right, let's take that and have a look at our next slide. This one's kind of fun. Uh, this is, this is that, uh, that how others see it, how I see myself kind of picture, right? On the left-hand side, uh, how others see it. We, uh, we, take, we do the hard things, the cool things, the geeky things, and then the boring things, right? The direction, collection, analysis, and dissemination. Uh, Mike, you brought up earlier that uh, the, the threat report is really the only thing that, that is the output of this organization, but this is really a process, and, and you may be delivering threat reports one uh, every day or, or even multiple times in a day, depending on what kinds of reports you're delivering. And so it's, it's very possible that as you drop into a, a, a process where you, where you work the cycle, uh, it, you may be delivering and, and then improving your processes each each time, right? So here is the, the uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff diagram for how the process of intelligence reporting might go with planning and direction, collection, processing, exploitation, analysis and production, and then dissemination and integration. And that all gathers around the mission with evaluation and feedback happening continuously. Uh, just wanna call that out as, as the intelligence process uh, that delivers each of these reports. Thoughts on that? That one was pointed. All right, we'll just keep running. <laughs> well, <laughs> sorry, I thought you were asking Mike. I, I have thoughts, but I... I was waiting for you, Gary, so go, go for Gar. it. Go, Gar. <laughs> go, Gar. So, we go were Gar. all waiting for you, Gar. <laughs> well, <laughs> so yeah. So Oh, Gary arrived. This is great. Gary's got something to say. Let me let me first say that uh, like the the collection part is is and the and the uh, processing and exploitation part of it are actually where there's a lot of work involved and a lot of steps. Um, to me, the analysis and the dissemination are actually the culmination of what you're 
going to if you think of these as kind of stair steps. Um, the planning and direction, you're taking a step up. Now you're getting to do the collection. The processing and exploitation, um, where you're processing the information, maybe you're normalizing data in an Excel spreadsheet, right? That, how fun is that, right? Um, it's the analysis and production where it starts to all come together, but it doesn't matter if you don't disseminate it out, right? Um, so it's extremely important to have the planning and direction because those are where you're gonna get what we call requirements. And we'd have priority requirements. We'd have ad hoc requirements where you know a new one is put on you um, suddenly. But that's actually where you get your direction on how to go about doing your collection about what's important to the business in the case of um, a business or what's important to the mission in case of the military. You know, then you have your collection based on your resources. The military has far more resources for collection than business does. Um, far more what we would call collection platforms um, and far more capable to some degree, but not in all, not in all ways either. Um, government budgets can be weird. Um, and then processing and exploitation, you know, that's kind of a little bit the grunt work to try to make sense of the data so you can get to the analysis. That's where you're creating the information from the data, basically processing and exploitation. And then the analysis and production, to me, that's where you, that's where you really earn your paycheck, right? And that's where you differentiate yourself um, from, you know, the rest of the crowd, maybe in terms of what you're able to come up with um, or, you know, give to your leadership. And then the dissemination and integration are also, that's where you get the visibility, right? That's where they actually see it. Um, and in some ways, the most important final step, because you have to do it in order to make a difference. So something you, you brought up to me in previous conversations, Gary, is understanding commander's intent. Uh, and I think that's really falling in the planning and direction, but it's really understanding the mission. And if we understand what our business customer needs, what our commander's intent is, then when we go do all of this work and we deliver a result, we're delivering what our business needs to help it grow. And I would might add that the, the business may not always have security as a priority an absolute priority because they have to do this thing called run a business and make money, right? <laughs> and that's a constant balance of, of things that a security organization needs to understand. Definitely. Cool. Mike, you're on mute. He knows, he's happy. Yeah, I, sorry. Yeah, the, um, yeah, um, to follow on Gary's point there, like, not in business to, um, early on in my US career, um, uh, there was some major vulnerability in some financial system and uh, I needed to borrow like a bunch of engineers to go patch this thing. And um, I sat down with a CIO at the time and I said, hey, I need to borrow X, Y, and Z just to kind of tighten this up. Um, I know they're working on something else, but can you help me out? And uh, the response came back with, no, they'll be available in, in like three weeks. And I said, well, it's kind of a long time. And they were like, well, they've got this other thing that's more important. We're in here. We're here to run this business. We're not here to be secure, right? Um, we're here to be secure. We're here to be in business. Um, they didn't say I, that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So, but in a way, they're right. It's a balance. Right? Like, Don't act like that's the yeah. first time you've ever heard that, Wes. 
Um, but they, they, and I sat back and I was initially I was kind of annoyed, but then I was like, well, they're right. Um, and so I kind of went away and figured out like a compromise, like one person for a bit longer or something to to kind of get it taken care of. And but yeah, every time you know, every time I have kind of come across a similar situation since then, and like um, in in regards to threat intelligence, right? Like if you there's an old um, expression that I can't remember who wrote it, but I've referenced it many times and I've put it in a footnote somewhere, but if everything is important, then nothing is important, right? So um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's true in threat intelligence. Like, and if you, and in incident response as well, like you can become scared or nervous about what I like call pulling the alarm cord too much or giving up too much information, right, to people because then you just get numb to the volume of it. Um, and that's probably part of the uh, the analysis, production, dissemination, and integration piece, right? Like being selective and 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 making decisions, especially in um, smaller companies and smaller organizations, about when you decide to deliver certain pieces of information and or you know pull that alarm cord to say, hey, I really need help now because of X, Y, and Z. Um, that's that's something that you have to learn as well. Thank you, Chicken Little. I think that's great. Uh, we kind of get an understanding of what the what the model is and where the priorities are, and then we understand how you can fall off on either side of it. So this has been a good conversation. I'm enjoying it. I I'm really, I really appreciate the human factors aspect there too. But yeah, you know, not crying wolf every time you think you see a wolf. Indeed, indeed, it's, uh, uh, it's an interesting road we walk. All right. So, uh, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say regarding regarding some of that. Um, one thing to really that's really useful is to understand biases out there of different sources. Um, one source of that we regularly look to is security researchers, and security researchers have a bias to dramatize um, whatever it is they're presenting and make a name for themselves because that's how they make money. Um, and that's how they make a living and part of them are in it, you know, so that they can, you know, have a platform and, you know, um, make a difference in the world. Right. So always take that, for example, into account, you know, when you read some of these stories about the latest, you know, ability of a laser to eavesdrop on uh, your Alexa device or whatever. Right. Um, you know, like, you know, we have to evaluate what the actual risk is of these things happen when we talk about how we prioritize our resources. Because as Mike said, you can't go after everything. Wait a minute. So if a vulnerability has a fancy logo and a cool name, that's not enough? <laughs> not necessarily, no. <laughs> it's happening more and nope. more. <laughs> right, right. It's not how we base our decisions on what vulnerabilities to pursue and uh, our, our expend limited resources on. So. That's where intelligence comes in with regard to vulnerability management, right? So. Love it. Nice. I, I'll say similar similar thing. So I, I triage about 15 to 20 bug bounty reports a month, right? Um, and every bug bounty report that comes in is the most important thing in the world to the person that submitted that report. And um, of the 19 or 20, 19 or 20 are incorrect or wrong or out of scope for a particular thing or in somebody else's service, right? Um, so every one of these things comes in and 
when I hired a, a kind of more junior person on my on my current team, every one of these reports would come in and they'd freak out like, oh no, what should we do? And I was like, just read it through, understand. And I'm like, here's a rule. Like if somebody submits a report that says it's an authentication bypass and the first line of that report is log in with valid credentials, chances are it's not going to be a valid finding, right? So <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the same sort of thing with, uh, with, the, with threat intelligence as well. <laughs> Outstanding. So I want to take you to an eye chart next. This is brought to us by our friends at Recorded Future. This was a presentation done by uh, a fellow named Greg Reith in the Seattle area. I have uh, seen this presentation by him. I, and I, I remember this slide because it, it brings a lot of information together. We are not going to drain this slide today. I do just want to call out a couple of highlights, right? If there are, uh, if we're looking at the different threat actors that we could be dealing with in our environment, there are six levels as they're broken down in this diagram. The, the most simple of attackers might be your script kiddies and your non-malicious actors, right? And, and that's going to be your green level down here. Then you're going to move up to maybe crime groups or hacktivists or maybe uh, cyber mercenaries. And then you move all the way to uh, advanced persistent threat nation state attackers, right? And so if you can categorize your actors into these different six levels, then you can start to understand what controls you might want to put in place and what threats are really uh, coming from each one of those in which you have to address and not. Uh, this is kind of an eye chart here, but is there any, do you guys want to add anything to this one before we jump to the that next slide? Would you use something like this? Do you use something like this? The current it helps. In, go, ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Now the current intelligence picture is a lot more complicated than this. Um, <laughs> oh come on. Yeah. No, seriously. This right? is super complicated already. Yeah. The slide. The slide is pretty complicated. I agree. But just looking at the central. We lost you, Gary. I believe the intelligence services have intercepted him. <laughs> to stop him from. Gary's audio is gone. Gary, can you see us? No audio from Gary. Let him troubleshoot. Mike. But I'm sure he was going to say important things. What you got, Mike? Yeah. Um, do I use this kind of classification? Um, sometimes, honestly, you know, in a smaller organization, it's, you know, it's just about, it, it's usually just like an insider outsider type thing. It doesn't really matter. Like, any more detail than that um but yeah it's you know it's something that um i think we've become more aware of kind of the top of this pyramid um you know in the in the post solar winds world and we're talking about like um supply chain stuff as well mm -hmm. um i think that um that has actually opened the eyes of a lot of um more senior folks in organizations to the fact that the top of this pyramid nation states, state-sponsored um, actors um, will, you know, go after whatever they can because there's always been this perception that we're not that much of a target, right? Like who wants to go after, you know, X, Y, and Z. But um, if you have a presence anywhere, then you are a target and you have some value and there'll always be some obscure link to somebody in your organization that somebody wants to exploit for some reason at some point. Um, and I think SolarWinds is kind of, you know, brought the um, brought that to the fore a bit more, and 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 has seen you know smaller companies and mid-sized companies do this kind of classification more often. 
Mike, I can tell you've been in the U.S. for 10 years. Really? Yeah, yeah you didn't say Zed. Oh. <laughs> Welcome. Easy. Glad, glad, glad you're here. <laughs> uh, I, I, me too. I, I like it. It's good. <laughs> Healthcare is kind of a problem, but we'll fix that. <laughs> Please get on it. <laughs> Gary, are you back? Oh, man. Audio trouble. Well, the best meeting I've had with Gary all week. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, everybody who watches this podcast knows that this is like live radio. Sometimes things happen. Like I disappeared because I had an equipment malfunction, but little troubleshooting, I'm back. So, you know, I think we, yeah. need, to, I think we need to move on. Yep. Sorry, Gary. We'll, we'll get a chance to, to catch some more from him in a bit. Yeah. Uh, I do want to jump ahead to this next slide that I think is actually really interesting because it takes the, the concept of the six layers and it applies it to a, a series of specific uh, uh, threats, uh, asset targets, and, and controls, right? So if we start at the bottom in the green space, we have nuisance threats that uh, might be phishing or viruses, and that may affect some of your internal employees. Uh, and that may, uh, may be prevented with firewalls, antivirus, uh, endpoint detection response, some of your common security controls, right? And then you may have a, a, a mid-tier uh, attack, and that may be more of a spear phishing or a ransomware. It may be targeted specific to your organization. And, and that may be after specific uh, PCI data or personal health information or, or potentially any of your sensitive data assets, your, your intellectual property, right? Uh, that may be protected through behavioral analytic tools, your analytic endpoints, uh, but it's really gonna take a next level, uh, uh, next generation quality control in order to protect those assets. And then if we start moving towards the APTs and the, and the nation state threats, uh, we're really gonna be looking at uh, military quality defenses, right? We're gonna be looking at uh, integrated intelligence and response counterintelligence programs. Uh, and so I think this kind of brings to light and helps us understand that, that chart from the, the last page. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I think it also underscores the fact that if you're working at a small organization, you're working at a mid-sized organization, I mean, you're just, it, there's real limits on, on, you know, how much you can do here, you know, how much time you can spend understanding this stuff as opposed to just, you know, playing whack-a-mole, which is what a lot of us end up doing. Yeah, the, uh, you know, there are a lot of companies out there that, that cannot give you an easy answer or a straight answer to how many devices do you own, right? Like, what's your asset management look like? So how can you expect them to kind of climb this ladder and, and have, you know, some of these things in place. Um, so in which case, like um, my recommendation to, to those kind of companies is always like try and keep everything as simple as possible and rely on the old classics like segmentation and, um, you know, decent firewall rules and just knowing what normal looks like. And then you can kind of pick up some of the gaps that you, you, you miss because you don't have some of these fancier things. Yeah, it goes back to blocking and tackling, right? If you can do the mm -hmm. basics and you can do the basics well, you're actually going to prevent 90% of the attacks. And I also want to take a moment and just acknowledge that um, the fact that threat intelligence is so difficult and yet really crucial, actually, if you if you really want to protect your digital assets and, and so forth, um, really underscores the fact that we have this massive gap right now between um, between what government can do right what police and law enforcement and the judiciary and the legislative 
and the executive, like, what can they really do to protect us? I mean, they're really good at stopping bank robbers with guns showing up on the corner and trying to grab some cash. But, you know, try to steal $100 million with a piece of malware and, you know, there's nobody there to stop them. I mean, the risks of getting caught are very, very low. And um, so anyway, there's just, we're on our own. You just you just made the business case for a life of crime and danger, right? That's uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't I think, think I'm the one, the first one to point it out. <laughs> I think one of the problems, especially in the U.S., with the way things are structured in in the federal government, right, is that there are so many agencies, and I wish you could hear from Gary because he probably has an opinion on this, but there are so many agencies that kind of overlap um, and kind of compete, right? Like, yeah. is it the Secret Service? Is it the FBI? Who does what? Is it, you know, Space Force, Cyber Command? Like, who is it? Who's in charge of these things? I think that's part of the challenge. And I think, you know, for all these different agencies that we have com- um, compete in to, to, to kind of be, you know, responsible, um, one thing that we actually miss is there's no kind of like um, NTSB-style agency for cybersecurity incidents, right? So National Transportation Safety Board, um, obviously go investigate marine and aircraft accidents and things like that. And if we had that, you know, for massive data breaches um, and after, you know, there were big investigations and there were actionable things that came out of those investigations that different places had to do, depending on how much data they have. um, I think that would be a huge thing um, and would definitely help, uh, you know, people feel like they are getting some level of protection from the government. But I just think as it is now, it's all very segmented and everybody seems to be fighting at each other or fighting over who gets the coolest name. Um, and that kind of sucks a little bit. Well, and I'm going to, I'm going to pick up on that and talk about the ice acts for just a second. Right. Uh, I agree with you that it's difficult for three different retailers to share information about who is attacking who or who's being attacked because uh, we're in direct competition potentially. And so I don't necessarily want to share with you, uh, how I'm being attacked or, or what attack is happening. It's not because I don't want you, or it's not because I want you attacked. It's because uh, if I share with you how I was attacked, you'll see into my internals and how I operate. And I, I'm not sure that I want to share how I operate with my competitor. And so there's a lot of times uh, a hesitancy to share uh, what vulnerability was exploited and how did the bad guy get in? And, and the Information Security Something Council, ISACs. Uh, are you guys familiar with it? Help me out with that. What's the name of that? I don't uh, know. There are multiple different ISACs that the U.S. government sponsors, and, and each ISAC is for a different industry. Uh, and so uh, if you're in the financial services ISAC or the, or the retailing ISAC, uh, you would... Uh, you'd be able to share information with a mutual NDA in place for that. Uh, information sharing and analysis center is what the ISACs are. Ah. And, and I was going to say Illinois, Illinois Student Assistance Commission, because that's what comes <laughs> up first on Google, but that's wrong. <laughs> I'm over acronymed. I don't even try. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, that takes us, uh, so that is one way that organizations do share information between companies. I want to call out something that I think is an incredible accomplishment. We are 45 minutes into this podcast episode, and no one 
uh, we're talking about threat intelligence the entire time. And no one, I mean, no one has said the phrase dark web. <laughs> we haven't done it. We haven't said dark web. And fortunately, my friends, on the next slide, we have an opportunity to say dark web. I know you're excited. This is our inputs, processes, and outputs. Uh, it begins with our suppliers. Three of the suppliers could be uh, government sources, including those ISACs. It could be internet sources. Most of our threat intelligence is actually open source intelligence information. Uh, we also may be getting information from our partners. Specifically, uh, if my business is selling shoes, I'm not going to be an expert on what the wild is doing and what the wild may be attacking me with next. But uh, Mike brought up earlier that there could be uh, data feeds that I can subscribe to that will provide me information for my business, for my retail business specifically, so that I can be better prepared with threat intelligence that I didn't have to create myself. Those threat feeds are usually available through your antivirus uh, tools, through your endpoint detection response tools, through your network protection tools, and oftentimes through uh, uh, other vendors, right? There's a, a lot of places for your, your data feeds. We're going to we're Are you saying Reddit's not the dark web? <laughs> Reddit's an incredible source, but is not the dark web. No. Uh, dark we're going to use OSINT. <laughs> we're going to use the RSS feeds. We're going to look at antivirus and related tools. We're going to pull in our government agency information, right? Because the FBI is a great source of sharing information about where attacks may be. Uh, my do, I do recommend, <laughs> if you're going to work with the FBI, work with them before you have a crisis, right? <laughs> right? You don't want to meet the firemen on the day the building's burning down. <laughs> That's just not how we want to do it, right? Uh, you're and it's really easy have... to meet. It's really easy to meet them. They're very friendly. Just call them on the phone. Pretty much. That's yeah. what I do. Yeah, it's an easy way to go. Uh, the dark web. Uh, do work with your organizational leadership, right? Don't just call the FBI as as your threat analyst and say, "Hi guys, my name's Bob, and I was just hoping to talk to you today." <laughs> Do it with your organization's uh, blessing, permission, and, and, and probably with your legal team's awareness, right? Uh, that's not something you're going to do on your own. Uh, and then Reddit actually is a great source of, of chatter about what's going on in the world today. Uh, we mine that and we can get a lot of business intelligence from our threat intelligence information. We're going to use those sources and many other sources. We're going to analyze, prioritize, recommend, and report. Uh, we saw that intelligence uh, process cycle already. Uh, and then we're going to create tactical, operational, and strategic reports. Those reports are going to go to our infrastructure teams to protect our infrastructure. They're going to go to our security teams so that we can better manage our incident response, our vulnerability management priorities, and, and even our architecture and design strategies. Uh, it's also going to go to our organizational leaders so that they can understand where it's safe to travel and where we need to prioritize our, our organizational assets to, to be best positioned as a business to be resilient in the long term. All right, so that's the SIPOC of the threat intelligence process. Uh, my guess is the folks who've been doing this a long time, uh, and I love it, Gary, you look like you're in the dark now. You've kind of got that even, even if you had a hoodie on, I would know for sure you were a threat analyst. That's, it was my theme for the dark web portion of the uh, conversation. <laughs> love but, it. Uh, yeah. You're back. Uh, tell us everything you can tell us about what you would add to, to these thoughts. Well, Increasingly, what we're seeing, um, and, and this is both good and bad, is uh, government agencies are actually stepping in and providing more information. Um, so like the National Security Agency has access to a lot of resources. 
um, where they have kind of forward presence even um, out in um, networks maybe of, of what might be attackers um, that corporations can't legally engage in or do. Um, and they're increasingly providing information to us and that's where the government agencies source comes in. Um, they're also partnering with the Department of Homeland Security, which does have more direct responsibility for helping defend critical infrastructure in the United States. Um, and they're providing through an organization called CISA, C-I-S-A, um, more information to us as well. And that's good, um, but that can also be misinterpreted or help prioritize information sometimes in the wrong way um, because it has the government imprimatur on it. Um, and therefore, with that comes the idea of possible government oversight and, you know, enforcement. So, so leadership can get influenced by that. And so that's a, you know, helping try to steer towards what the actual, you know, threats are based on all the information is, is still an important thing, not just what the government says. Um, and how that applies to your specific operational environment, which you might have a better understanding of in some cases than leadership does. So I will build on that, Gary, and say that uh, the US government has the NIST cybersecurity standard. And that NIST standard calls out specific areas of critical infrastructure for the United States. Uh, it's because I believe the US government is recognizing that uh, private industries are going to be a part of any future uh, uh, war efforts as economic uh, aspects of every war that may happen in the future, right? And so the U.S. government is working with private industry to, to shore up the security posture of critical infrastructure areas. Uh, and one of the ways they're doing that is through InfraGuard, right? InfraGuard is a private public partnership with the FBI for uh, specifically protecting the infrastructure uh, of the U.S. Uh, I think that InfraGuard also has some some threat feeds that may be useful for you as you're building out your, your, uh, uh, your threat intelligence strategy. Um, <clears throat> so, and then calling out the suppliers side of things, um, when you're talking about suppliers of, of threat intelligence processes, um, a lot of times it's more efficient um, to get somebody else, an outsider to do anything on the dark web for you um, because the dark web takes a lot of times built up relationships um, where somebody has to come across as a legit criminal and they have to have a long history um, and a, a record of actually, you know, um, producing cash, for example, to pay for things, um, as the case may be. So um, that's not necessarily for the novice uh, to engage in. Um, and unless you're doing it kind of on a full-time basis, it's not very efficient, you know, because whatever's going after your company is probably going to be sporadic, right? So you're going to be spending most of your time looking on the dark web for stuff that's probably not going to be there a whole lot of the time, right? Where somebody else can look at for 50 companies at a time or, you know, and uh, let them know when something pops up, you know, that affects them. So. Or you can just read Brian Krebs blog or read Krebs. Yeah. <laughs> He's out there doing that. I know. Sure. Uh, 
so if you did end up on the dark web, what would be some rules about the dark web you'd want to you'd want to tell the the, the rookie? L, stay away as far away as you can from any hint of kitty porn, <laughs> and uh, report it immediately to your superiors and to the police if it's found. Uh, well, because... that, that's one good advice, but don't even look at it from work, right? Yeah. Uh, if well, you're... that's the starter, right? Yeah. Go ahead. You don't want to be looking at it from your your company machine uh, because that's nope. going to be broadcasting all sorts of company information, uh, including your your source IP address. So, just not a not a good plan. Yeah, right. That's yeah. Fundamentally, basically, you'd want to use non-attributed browser capabilities or um, non-attributed where it's not going to be traced back to who you are, right? Which is one more reason to, um, you know. Uh, that it's not always efficient for everybody to do that. You don't want them to come to your house either, by the way. So, <laughs> so, Mike, are we? Are we? Did we leave you on mute? Do you have? Uh, do you want to help us here? Um, yeah. No, I mean, dark web stuff. So, I haven't done an awful lot in the space, to be honest. Like, I, you know, mostly just strolled around, kind of um, looking for specific things uh, in response to specific events. Um, to be honest, for most organizations, right, like the data that they're most concerned about losing is on the normal web, and it's usually poorly secured, and the dark web provides just a kind of more secure backup of it, to be honest, um, so that less people can find. Um, it's like when you get um, ransomware and you can finally answer the question, do you store your data encrypted with the yes? Um, so it's... Uh, not I, that you're cynical. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's something to be aware of. It's something to know how to access and know how to go look up safely. If you get very specific things, I think for most small to medium sized companies, and obviously if you're in a larger company, you probably have more capability to go do that stuff more frequently. Um, so yeah, be aware of it, be understand the technology, right? Like it's a very useful, um, defensive technology, um, to understand for, for intelligence collection, but, you know, it's not something that's in like my top 10 things that I monitor constantly. Um, the other thing I'd say is that like anything, right? Like as soon as it kind of falls into the realm of being marketable, like um, credit reporting agencies that offer to go do dark web scans, right? Like most credit reporting agencies have been breached. So they're the ones that have lost the information in which they're now going to tell me is on the dark web because it was stolen from them. Um, so thanks folks. I appreciate the insight. So <laughs> now that it's marketable, right? Like anything like that, you know, be aware of the fact that people will try to scare you with, with those terms and, and things like that. So always be a little bit, always approach things with a, a fair degree of cynicism in that space for sure. Thank you. So most of what you see, um, that's probably of interest in the dark web is, is sales of breached information. Um, um, sales of credentials and because credentials are a you know pretty much top source along with phishing um, for um, attacks happening effectively and credentials will actually take you further because they'll allow escalation potentially as well into applications um, that somebody has access to with their credentials in addition to network access um, so I, to be honest with you, to me, the dark web stuff is like the least interesting part mm. uh, because it's very repetitive. 
Um, some people think it's all like, you know, wise guys, uh, you know, criminal underground, you know, and you get to do deep detective work stuff, you know, and for the most part, it's a bunch of loser criminals. Uh, um, a lot of them from foreign countries that are selling information they've stolen and hoping you'll buy it. Right. Sometimes, um, wow. go ahead. Oh, there's some malware too, for that matter as well. And, you know, actually one of the reports that came out today that they were selling malware, um, that the malware developers are actually lacing with their own, um, back doors and their own um, web shells to actually access the systems and basically take advantage of the um, other guy's effort, the other criminal's effort to actually A, sell the other criminal product and then take advantage of his work to go ahead and plant their own malware and steal the data themselves as well, right? So no, no honor among thieves. So. What you're describing right now is that there's a business that creates malware and a separate business that distributes the malware and that they're uh, these are full-time jobs for organizations that are literally uh, in, in for-profit business in these areas. So increasingly what we're seeing, especially driven by ransomware and because of the fact of being able to um, monetize through cryptocurrency and do it anonymously is a specialization within the criminal community um, where they're becoming a much more advanced economy or ecosystem um, and they are uh, specializing. The latest thing actually seems to be specializing in doing reverse engineering zero days of applications, um, including uh, like mobile banking applications seems to be a target. Which is um, why you got to patch your stuff. Which is well and secure coding, <laughs> secure coding, right? So secure yeah. coding and then patch quickly. The other thing that I heard uh, from from this team here in the last couple of minutes was uh, when you when you steal a physical asset, you have to fence that physical asset, sometimes by laundering it through mul multiple businesses in order to get it to a, a place where it is now a, a clean asset and can be sold again on the, on the common market. Uh, in the same way, uh, when a criminal steals digital assets, those digital assets need to be marketed. Now, uh, just like we talked about a business that creates malware and one that distributes malware, there's actually auction houses that sell, sell stolen data as well, right? And those auction houses don't have to sell the data just once. The beauty of, of digital data <laughs> is that right. it is brand new every time you sell it. And in fact, the more times I sell it, the, the more money I make, but the more times I sell it, the harder it is to attribute to me as the person who took it. It is now multiple copies on, on multiple different continents, and it is, it is no longer attributable to it a specific uh, uh, thief, right? Uh, at least in a lot of ways. And so I give that to you as, uh, as we look at the, the dark web, uh, don't think you're buying the only copy of that digital data. <laughs> it's, every time it's sold, it's worth less. It's less useful, so. Uh, less useful to the buyer, but it's more to useful. The buyer. To the Very seller. useful to the seller, I agree. Yeah, that's right. 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 Yeah. All right. Let's jump ahead. Uh, I don't see any eyes saying, hey, Wes, uh, I've got one more. So we're going to jump ahead to this. Uh, this is the fun slide. This tells us a little bit about what the people, the skills and the tools will be for for a person who wants to step into this role. Right. You can be uh, a junior threat analyst, a senior threat analyst or or as Gary described, a, a principal threat analyst. Uh, 
and or principal threat engineer. Sorry, I want to get that right for you. Um, uh, as I've watched you grow, right? This can be done at many different levels. The skills are research and analysis. There's automation and scripting because the more you can automate, the more data you can process. The more data you can process, the more valuable you are uh, in some ways, right? Your analysis, but also the, the data you process are the, the two keys there. Uh, I, want, I called out influence without authority as one of the key skills. And that's because you don't own the resources, but you're making recommendations to your executives as to how resources should be applied. Uh, and, and lastly, we're translating technology and business. If we can't translate technology and business well, we are not speaking the language of our business partners to communicate technical threats. The tools that we may be using, social media, we may be using the dark web, we may be using Reddit. Uh, I think, uh, Gary, you've said to me that the most important tool you use is the telephone. I got a kick out of that because I use voice over IP for everything, but sure, we can we can call it a telephone if you want. Given my audio problems, given this is practically a telephone, right? Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's uh... Right, our tools are scripting and data processing and report writing. My point here is that the entrance criteria to step into threat intelligence is not a high bar, but it is a, a science and an art that comes together to be a very difficult field that we can we can get better at every day. How, what so, would you guys add to that? Skills, <clears throat> tools, and and uh, experience. I, I would say oral and written communication. Um, your ability to concise communicate concisely um, and accurately um, information, um, which you know, honestly, behind that is the idea of a, a, a intellectual integrity and a commitment to to um, factual presentation, a commitment to to what's true, um, are are very very critical. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the part I was talking about at dissemination where briefing, um, out the information or writing out that information is very, very, very important as well. It is. It is. Kip, Mike, I'll... anything you want to add to this? I was going to say one of, one of my favorite highs who I've worked with at three different companies, um, comes from a law enforcement background and um, she has, um, you know, she, one of, she has a lot of these skills from that background that she transferred into kind of a, a more technical security engineering role. And I remember like the first time we met and she was worried that it, you know, that she, she, she didn't have some of the technical skills, but I was super impressed with some of these other things like the ability to you know just interrogate and figure things out and be kind of unrelenting and uh, uh she came on board that team my, my first team there and then came with me a couple of different companies as well along the way and um it's it's very similar right she has a bunch of experience doing interrogation being able to to, to study things and figure things out um and then she found that you know her law enforcement experience doing those things just translated super super well to you know ip streaming into logs and doing that kind of threat work so if you've done any of that kind of stuff and then the other thing is like um like forensic accounting or just you know cpa type stuff um if you can spot abnormalities in that kind of data and, and interesting trends and things like that then it's very transferable into um, the information security world for sure nice and nice. 
to further build on that idea also that the idea of of influence without authority um you know that that boils a lot of things into that um as well there's the communication skills but a lot of times um you're as we discussed you're the messenger um and you're going to be communicating with a lot of other people other than leadership in some cases and um lines of responsibility aren't always clear so how do you get somebody to accept responsibility for remediating something for example um, when they don't think it's their job but there's nobody else to do it <laughs> right um, because they're pretty busy as it is right so that's that's an example of you know you have to figure out how to pull um, you know use your influence and in some cases pull strings um, relationships end up being obviously a huge huge part of all this um, and um, yeah the the research and analysis part, um, you know, there's there's a lot of um, you know uh, skill that that goes into into that part. And when you talk about analysis, and this I think where I was getting towards building on on what uh, Mike said is that the ability to weigh evidence um, and also the ability to assess risk, which means you can weigh the threat, which means capability and intent. You can weigh the vulnerability. Um, and how it applies to your assets, and then the potential impact um, on those assets and probability. Um, those are all very, very useful skills when it comes to this. Cool. You just dropped a couple different definitions for us that uh, uh, the definition of threat is capability plus intent. Is that correct? Yeah, and you can actually, yeah, you can add opportunity in there as well, for sure, because that's one of the things that we try to prevent. A threat can have capability and intent, but we're going to try to prevent that opportunity. That's where we get power in this situation. Nice. All right. I'm going to take us to the next slide because uh, this one's kind of fun. We're going to go pretty quick across it, so uh, uh, we're not going to get to drain this one. But if, if we were doing a, a threat intelligence report uh, for the Empire, reporting on the potential threat of the Death Star being destroyed by some uh, ideological uh, uh, adversary, Skywalker, uh, off, of the, off of Tatooine. With Jedi right. skills, right? We, we might start to look at the adversary, the infrastructure, the victim, and the capabilities uh, against a sociopolitical access and a, and a technical access to understand their capabilities. Uh, yeah, so a lot of times how you can understand the easiest way to understand who a threat might be um, without knowing much else is look at who the victim is um, and who would want to attack the victim um, because usually people don't send, spend resources um, you know, attacking people that they don't have any interest in attacking. Um, and part of that victim, part of that is what are they going after in terms of what the information is, right? And sometimes you could tell that by even the specific victim. For example, if they're going after a specific person they found on LinkedIn that might have access to, you know, intellectual property, for example, like a lawyer for a company, for example. Um, and so that's that's kind of the first and easiest way. The other things are a little bit more hard, hard one. Um, and a little bit more shift and changing, and that is you you figure these out over time, and that is what their infrastructure is, um, 
in in this case when we're talking about infrastructure we're talking about how they use infrastructure like what services they use what fake websites or typo squat websites they use um, what email addresses they use um, to send email and then um, sort of along with that what their um, different what we would call indicators of compromise are which would be for for example the types of malware that they use or specific malware that they use um, and then their capabilities um, would would also kind of malware sort of blends there both ways depending but um, their capabilities um, would include you know the tactics that they use and how well they use them their operational security and how good that is um, uh, nation states will tend to have really really good op operational security and they can do that in part, not just from skill and training, which they can really invest in, but also because their timeline or horizon is a lot longer. Um, they can be very quiet, like in the, um, the solar winds attacks that happened recently, which were a supply chain attack on a um, piece of very widespread right. software. Um, they waited like 13 days after they got access, 12 to 14 days, I think it was after they got access before they made their first sort of little move just to avoid detection. Whereas a crime group wants to get to that money, you know, right away so they can get onto the next target normally. So, um, so and, there's that difference. Go ahead. And what's really interesting about this thread is that this is going to fall in that hundred year flood uh, category, right? Uh, this may be a, a 100 years, this might happen, but not even likely to be every 100 years. What are the chances that some rogue squadron womp rat shooter from, <laughs> from Tatooine is going to take out a, yeah. a mighty Death Star, right? So so we would have actually probably ignored this threat. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, not a threat. And Moff Tarkin it. did ignore it, right? <laughs> right. Remember the intelligence officers? Right. Sir, there is a there is a threat. <laughs> right. a moment of triumph? <laughs> They underestimated the Jedi hackers. So yeah, you can do the, the, you can be the best threat intelligence person on the face of the planet, or or the space station, and <laughs> the decision makers still might tell you to go pound sand. <laughs> all it's right. all about weighing risk, that. right? On that, my friends, we're going to jump ahead to giving our guests the last word. I do want to hear from both of you today. What have been the keys to your success? What uh, what was for you your your keys to success? Mike? Okay, I'll go for it. Uh, keys to success. <laughs> Don't take yourself too seriously. Um, enjoy it. Uh, if you ever kind of find yourself um, frustrated or unable to solve a problem, walk away for a few minutes or an hour or whatever it takes and do something in, away from a screen uh, and you'll probably figure it out. Sometimes that happens at like 3 a.m. and you just wake up and you're like, Ah, and you have to go resolve that instantly, which is, you know, makes you very successful, but can also annoy your partner. So um, just be aware of that. It's um, almost 3 a.m. as we record this. So, you know, we're going <laughs> to save everybody some problems. I used to right. keep a notepad beside my bed because I didn't want to have to stay awake and think about it or try and remember it for the morning. So you just jot it and go back to sleep. Uh, yeah, that's right. For that's thinking. As well. Good for the good in the shower too. Good uh, thinking time, right? Yeah, exactly. So. Um, 
Yeah, for the other question, so if my mentee were in school currently interested in the fields, what would you tell them to focus on? I'd say whatever you find interesting, right? But don't be so closed off that you stick to that forever. Um, I've kind of gone backwards and forwards like over the years. So now I'm obviously in like a security leadership role um, and kind of I started out in pen testing and forensics and then kind of incident response. And then I still considered myself more of a forensics person uh, but then I really, really considered myself more of a pen tester again, um, just because of what I've been able to do. Um, and obviously, you know, being in a leadership role, you get to do a bit of everything anyway, um, and do all the kind of managery stuff as well. Um, so right, <laughs> right. Yeah, that from, from 52 as well. Uh, that's actually from, yeah, that's from my, uh, yeah, upcoming book uh, on, random made up words um for nice. for leadership conversations um that help you yeah uh so yeah it's um yeah pick a thing if you really want to focus on it you know never be overwhelmed by you know information security is a huge field there is no ex like single expert in it there are people that are you know have expertise in very specific areas um you know you'll go you'll see them on twitter you'll see um different people you know there's kind of the old school celebrities in the space and things like that um you know never be there's a lot of gatekeeping that goes on um never be put off by that there's for everyone that kind of does the, the gatekeeping kind of thing there's like 52 million other people that will help you succeed so focus on them and then i guess for the last one what do you know now that you wish you knew then um i would say that um one thing that i didn't really kind of consider early on that I now consider a lot more is kind of the human factors and the fact that the computers didn't just start up and, you know, just didn't start up and attacking themselves and each other um, or decide to do a bad thing one day, there was some human directing them. Um, and one story that I like to tell a lot when I, when I kind of um, talk about what I mean by this is when I did a, I did a forensics exam on a machine uh, basically, the person had been, you know, they they expect the person had allegedly stolen a file containing a bunch of PII for their whole organization, all the payroll information, all that kind of stuff. And the way that they, the the company had found out that this information had been stolen is because it appeared in email. And basically, that person claimed, well, it was an accidental thing. I accidentally emailed the wrong e the wrong file to myself at home. Um, so in order to kind of uh, clear that up, um, they asked to do forensics on that person's personal machine to prove that they'd accidentally got it and, and then deleted it straight away. And when I went in to image the machine, I was literally sat in that person's lawyer's office opposite that person and their 17-year-old son who came along for reasons that I don't fully understand. And they just stared at me the whole time, like they wanted to like destroy me. And, you know, I was, that was very early on in my career and I was very young. And I remember texting my fiance and saying, there are people staring at me while I imaged this drive. And of course it was like a one terabyte drive and it was like the early 2010s. So it wasn't, it was going along very slowly. So yeah, people are behind a lot of this stuff. Uh, never lose sight of the fact that people are involved and, you know, always consider your people skills as well. Sometimes it's nice to be able to hide in the tech, but where there are computers, there are people directing them. So remember that. 
Love it. Nice. Thank you. Gary. Gary, what have been the keys to your success, sir? <clears throat> so this is the part where I get to say all that stuff Mike just said and you know. uh, just build on it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, thanks for the uh, the opener there, Mike. Um, so um, <laughs> first off, um, you know, what what do you what do you view um, this job as? Um, do you view it as a as a job um, or do you view it as a profession or do you view it as, as a calling? Uh, and I've. I've had jobs, um, had a couple professions, but I always felt like my calling was actually to do threat intelligence. Um, my command and control work um, was was on the way there. My risk management work for insurance companies before I got in the Air Force, um, you know, was was sort of building towards that. That was a job. Um, the next one became a profession, and then I kind of got to my calling. But your calling should obviously be something you're passionate about. But the key there is going to be persistence, um, because although you've had probably more opportunity these days um, than I had when I graduated from from school, um, you're not going to have immediate success, and nor do you necessarily deserve immediate success. Oh, um, you can't say that. <laughs> just Arizona. because, right? What what you really need to learn how to do is you need to learn how to work hard. You know, I got my start um, working, picking strawberries in a strawberry field, actually. Um, so, um, so yeah, work hard. Don't be afraid to uh, to tackle tough jobs, um, and um, you know, work hard at them because there's a lot of lot of different things to work as you as you learn, um, and so um, don't don't be entitled. Um, you know, you're fortunate to live in what I believe to be the greatest country on earth um, at one of the best times to have ever lived for all kinds of reasons. Um, and um, you have an enormous number of reasons um, to have gratitude um, and to adopt that gratitude um, as a constant attitude that you take on. Um, and that will massively contribute to your building something that is otherwise going to be hard to build called humility um, that you'll never really know when you have it, but other people will. Um, and so um, if you take that attitude um, and then move forward, and what I would say is something that drives me is intellectual curiosity um, that I consider pretty much mandatory for this field um, for you to really succeed, um, then I think then I think you'll be a success. Um, and then, so that's, I guess, question one. Um, if my mentee were in school currently and interested in fields of cybersecurity, what would you tell them to focus on? I'm going to go broad with this one, um, and then I'm going to say something that affects every field in cybersecurity that I think that not enough people understand well is the discipline of how to understand and evaluate risk um, and to think about that, um, and that includes things like weighing evidence um, um, that is in itself a discipline that you have to train your mind to do. Um, that enormous numbers of people out there um, do not do, and then focus on 
learning things accurately and conveying them accurately. Um, force yourself to do that and you'll be on the road towards being a good analyst um, because we don't have any use for analysis, the analysis that's not based on facts. And I've seen it happen actually, unfortunately, probably got somebody fired one time because I challenged their oh, no. um, analysis, which was based on essentially lies. Um, so yeah, don't do that. Um, and, um, and then what do you know now that you wish you knew then? Um, I would say stick your neck out, right? Um, you know, um, take some risks. Um, the, the field of cyber intelligence is incredibly broad and still not entirely defined, not just at the corporate level, but in a lot of people's minds. Um, they, like I said, I think on the opening slide almost, there's a very tactical view um, right now of, of cyber intelligence and corporations. Um, but the, the, the world of intelligence and cyber intelligence is much, much broader than that tactical view. Um, so if you do take some risks um, in this field, I think people will be surprised and they'll see something new um, and um, take the initiative. Outstanding. You know. Outstanding. Thank you. Thank you both. This is uh, really good recommendations as for our audience, for, for the 13 people who are left with us at the, uh, <laughs> the end of this one. All right. Uh, it is getting late uh, or maybe early, depending on how you measure it. Uh, there are three takeaways for today. The, the threat intelligence is an emerging capability in the private sector. Uh, emerging in every way, and, and you have an opportunity to help define it as you define it for your organization. It's not just a technical discipline. This is a business uh, strategy organization as well. And opportunities exist for people who love to take data to the next level of detail. So uh, with those key takeaways, next week we're going to have a lot of fun with identity and access management. Uh, once you understand what your threats are, we've got to understand what we need to protect, and that's that's that next step. So we'll we'll take a look at identity and access management next. Kip, what do you got for us today? All right, so we're going to wrap up this episode. Um, did you know we have a free guide for you to help you figure out uh, what your dream cybersecurity job is and then how to actually go and get it? So it's a free guide. Uh, it's yours for the taking. You can, uh, you can see a, a little screenshot of a couple of the pages right there on the slide. It's called Play to Win getting your dream cybersecurity job. And if you've ever played capture the flag, what we're going to do is teach you how to take those skills and put them towards getting your dream job. And uh, this is super helpful. We've gotten some good feedback on this. It's 20 pages, very visual, step-by-step. -step, and it just tells you what the big blockers are and how to overcome them, how to go over them, go around them, go under them, bust on through them. The way you get it is you go to yourcyberpath.com forward slash PDF and, uh, and you can snag it for yourself. Thanks for being here, everybody. Thanks to our guests. Thanks, Wes. And just remember you're one path away from your dream cybersecurity job. We'll see you next time.